We are continuing our series called God of the Valleys today. And in the first week of the series, we talked about the fact that God is the God of everything. That is, it doesn't matter if you're in the valley or on the mountaintop, if life is good or if life is rough, doesn't make any difference. God is the God in every circumstance, in every situation. It was a powerful week that, that week when we preached that word. And then last week, we looked at the Valley of Miracles, and we believe that God did miracles, and He's still in the process of doing miracles. And today's message is about the Valley of Faith, or the Valley of Eshkol, is what it's called in the Bible. There, this is the, the Valley of Eshkol is the location through which the first generation of Israelites was, uh, was supposed to enter into the Promised Land. They, they did not enter, and, and, and the second generation that approached the Promised Land was not allowed to enter through this location, they were brought across later on, as you know, uh, uh, th- across the Jordan River. Uh, nevertheless, the, the first time the Israelites came to the, to the promised land, it was at the valley of Eshkol. And we find that account in, in, uh, in Romans, uh, beginning in Romans chapter 13. And we're, we're going to read selected passages from chapter 13 and 14. And when I skip ahead, I'll, I'll let you know so that you're able to follow along. But we've got um, a long passage here. I'm getting a signal. What's that? Well, everybody knows it's numbers when they see it up here. <laughs> so, Numbers chapter 13. Let's read together. The Lord said to Moses... Some, send some men to, the, to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm going to the, giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out to the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. Now skip down to verse number 17. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go th- up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they walled, unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. Now skip down to verse 23. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them along, them, along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off. Eshkol in, in Hebrew uh, it means cluster. That's why they call it the Valley of Eshkol. At, verse 25, at the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. And they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. When we went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey, here, it is, here, here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak, or, or giants, there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. 
All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, He will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. Now just, if you would, just lay your hand on your Bible and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we believe that you have a word for us this morning. We believe that there's something you want to communicate with us. And God, I just pray humbly now at this moment, my faith resting on your word, that somehow, despite all human frailty, that you'll be able to communicate this message, what you want to say to us deep within, your spirit speaking directly to our spirit. Lord, I just ask that you do this humbly, meekly, and, and trusting fully in the confidence that is that is born of knowing you, you and knowing that you desire to speak to your people. I believe you, you're going to do that today, God, and I thank you for it. We pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. As the people of Israel crossed the Red Sea so miraculously and traveled to Mount Sinai where they received the, the law and arrived in the wide open pasture land of the region surrounding Mount Paran, they began to sense the gathering momentum of God to move in and receive the full blessing that God had for them. God had pointed out the land clearly. He had spoken without reservation to Moses that the land was theirs. And he had called upon Moses to send the spies. And they went down through this valley that runs alongside the, the, the river Eshcol, the, the valley of Eshcol there, and that leads from this high wilderness, this high mountain pasture land of, of Mount Paran, down to Kadesh Barnea and entered into the promised land from the south. Now when they returned, the Israelites, when they returned a second time, you'll, you'll remember they did not cross in and possess the, the land the first time, but, but the second time God did not lead them into Canaan by the same path. Instead, they crossed over south of the Dead Sea into Jordan. They moved up along the east bank of the Jordan River to a place that was across the river from the city of Jericho. And from there, they crossed the, the Jordan River, laid siege to the city of Jericho, and then moved on to the city of Ai. However, the first time, the first time they came to the Promised Land, we just read about it in our text, they came to the Valley of Eshcol. Now, I know you didn't come for a geography lesson, but you'll, you'll not understand the point of what I'm trying to say this morning if you don't have some understanding of the geography. They are moving uh, in the, at this time, the first time they are moving in the easiest, 
most natural way. This is the most obvious way to enter the land if you look at a map. This is like walking through the open door instead of going all the way around the Dead Sea and through the wilderness of Jordan and crossing the Jordan River because that is a very long meandering path. The, the Valley of Eshcol was the logical pathway into the Promised Land. So the, the Israelites stopped there in, in, in the open expanse of this high mountain pasture land and this place was very lonely and deserted and, and open. But, but I want you to understand when we think of the word wilderness or desert, it wasn't, it wasn't a barren wilderness. This, they're, they're, they're living in the presence of God and they are being provided for by His hand. They, they see the presence of the Lord in their midst. They have a pillar of fire by night and a cloud of smoke by day. They know that Moses visits the tabernacle and looks, looks on the face of God and speaks to God and hears from God. They know that they are fed by God's almighty hand. I mean, they eat manna that they, uh, that they collect every morning from the ground that God just supernaturally provides for them. And when they get tired of manna, they get quail. When they get thirsty, God brings water from a rock. They have everything provided for them. The, the time, I want you to say that, I'm saying that because I want you to know that the time around the base of Mount Perrin, this is not a bad time. This is a good, blessed time in the presence of God with His provision. They have moved through the wilderness. They have been brought across the Red Sea by the miraculous hand of God. And now they, at this moment, are poised at the very brink of receiving the full promised blessing of God. And then the spies who had been sent in the land returned from the promised land. And they say, we've entered into the promised land through the valley called Eshkol, the valley of cluster, because the area was rich and lush. And I mean, you think about a cluster of grapes that's so big that they have to put it on a pole and suspend it between two men. This is a very rich and a very prosperous land. And, and they, they find these magnificent clusters of grapes that are so huge that they put them on this beam and they march back to the camp with them. The, the word Eshkol must be understood in the, in the light of what the Bible says about Mount Paran. Mount Paran is mentioned six times in the Old Testament. One time has absolutely no connection to this. Back in the 21st chapter of Genesis, it mentions the fact that Ishmael was there. It has nothing to do with this whatsoever. But there are four times where it talks about the wilderness of Paran. And of those four, twice it uses the phrase Mount Paran. Which, so those two are used interchangeably. In De Deuteronomy 33 and in the prophecy of Habakkuk, it talks about the power of God or the glory of God shining forth from Mount Paran. So the phrases that are used give you this visible image of the glory of God clustered around the peak of Mount Paran and then flowing down and out from there. Now, if you take that language for a prophetic image of the glory of God shining forth and translate that image back to the first time that Mount Paran enters the the picture and which is here in this story of the people of Israel just before they cross at Kadesh Barnea at the in the valley of Eshkol what we see is that they are poised at, at Mount Paran ready to move in and take the promise of God and the glory of God which is encamped upon them at Mount Paran is ready to flow out before them into this new venture and upon them and and within them However, instead of receiving the glory of God and moving with Him, 
they don't want to move forward. They want to put down their roots in Mount Perry. They want to stop. They, they want to stay. They don't want to move on. Now, here's what I believe. I, got, I believe that God is constantly moving upon his people in exactly the same way. You know, there's one old hymn of the church that every person in, the, in this room, every, really every person in the world can sing no matter where they are in their walk with the Lord. It's that song that says, Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land. A higher plane than I have found, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Higher ground. If you're unsaved, you can sing higher ground because you want to get saved. If you're saved, you can sing higher ground because you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you can sing higher ground because, because you, you, uh, you, you want a higher uh, prayer life, a more uh, intimate walk with Jesus, a deeper holiness. Or if you're saved and sanctified, you can pray, oh God, reveal to me what my ministry is. And if you know what you're, what, uh, what, that you're called, then you can seek a, a, a higher, a richer anointing. If you know that you're anointed, you can pray for wider fields of service. If, if you, God gives you wider fields of service, you can pray for the spirit of servanthood. If you have the spirit of servanthood, you can pray for the spirit of humility. My point is, no matter where we are in our walk with God, God always has something more for us, something richer, something higher. We can always move forward. And these people here, the people of God, have forgotten something very important as they are poised to move through the valley of Eshcol and receive the promised land. And this is what they forgot. The Israelites forgot that they were not just led out of Egypt, but they were led into the promised land. They were not just redeemed from bondage, but they were redeemed to go to a certain place. They, they were not just redeemed from bondage just to, to wander the desert for 40 years. That was never a part of God's plan. That's not what God wanted. God wanted them to cross the Red Sea by His miracle power, to receive the law at Mount Sinai, to move straight to Mount Paran, and then from there to go to Kadesh Barnea, right through the Valley of Eshcol, and immediately possess the land in that generation, that's what God wanted. That was God's plan for them to move in and receive the promise. But they began to think that the full plan of God had been accomplished when they received the miraculous deliverance from Egypt. We're out of Egypt. We're out of slavery. That's good enough. And they missed the fact, they forgot the fact that God didn't just call them out of slavery, but they call, He called them into the promised land. It was not God's plan to merely deliver them from Egypt. It was God's plan to lead them into the promised land to the full blessing of Canaan. Now, this is extremely important and I, I really want you to get this. If you don't hear anything else I say today, I hope that you'll hear this. But every great experience of blessing or glory is a springboard into a new experience of depth and challenge with God. Everything God ever does in you is not an, of the final destination. It's designed to be something that will lead you on to the next thing God has for you. God never wants us to, to put our tent pegs in too deep into any given experience. Someone once said that those who oppose every new move of God are often the leaders of the last move of God. God forbid 
I don't want to be so rooted in, into the last experience with God that I had that I miss the next experience that God has for me. I don't want to be so fastened into the last revelation I got from God's Word that I'm unable to receive anything else. We are not supposed to pitch our tents in the pasture land around Mount Perrin and say, this is it for me. This is as far as I go. You know, I've known people who got into very serious trouble, sometimes even trouble with the law, who, who were from very solid Christian families, who, who have made personal expressions of faith themselves, but they did not move on with God. They, they experienced the sense of God's forgiveness and grace and repentance for salvation, but they stopped right there. If you want to know the full blessing of God on your life, move on with God. Move on with God. Don't try to camp on the doorstep of your salvation experience and hope to cling by your fingernails to the hope of heaven. Move on with God. Ask God to give you fresh vision. Ask God to give you leadership. Ask God to give you a sense of purpose. Ask God to show you your destiny. Not only that you are saved, but the reason you are saved. Not only that you are filled with the Holy Spirit, but the reason you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't cling to the last experience that God gave you. Ask God to show you where the next valley of faith is for you. Mount Perrin, from Mount Perrin, there's always a valley of Eshcol to follow. God intends to lead us forward into new experiences of grace. Now, here's the question I think that we need to ask because it really speaks to us where we are today. Why did the people of Israel fail so miserably? Because they, they, they forgot about the, that God didn't just call them out of Egypt, but that he called them into the promised land. They forgot all these things. They failed. Uh, when God says, now go forward and take it, they failed. Why did they fail so miserably? Well, the first reason is because of their false perception. They perceived the giants to be greater than their God. They perceived the giants to be greater than God. Their perception of the difficulties was that the difficulties were too big for them and they were too big for the God who had brought them this far. They forgot the God who parted the Red Sea and destroyed the most powerful army on earth. They forgot the God who provided manna and quail in the wilderness. They forgot the God who brought water from a rock. They forgot all of the things that he had done. And somehow they look at the giants and they said, oh no, we can't do this. I can't help but think that God was saying, wait, 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 wait. Hey, don't you remember that, that massive army that was behind you? I think if I can handle the armies of Egypt, I can handle a few big folk. My dear friends, I know that there are some corrections that need to be said about faith, and I've said some of them, but let me make one thing perfectly clear. clear. The Bible is absolutely clear. The righteous shall live by faith, and there is no obstacle. There is no mountain that can stand before us. There is no obstruction that is big enough or grand enough or evil enough. There is no malicious, malevolent plan of Satan that is powerful enough that can stop the plan of God if we move by faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You know what? These people and the Israelites, they, they, they were looking at what they could see. 
Faith is a substance of things that, uh, and the evidence of things that are not seen. They saw the giants. When, when scripture talks about them bringing an evil report of the land, it was not an evil report because it was a lie. What they reported was absolutely true. They were not, you know, saying, well, there are not really any giants there. That's what some people say that faith is. They say, just confess that they're not there. That's not what they did. They, 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 what they said was absolutely true. It, it was a strong land. It was full of Jebusites and Amorites and Hittites and the rest of those. It was full of great walled cities. There were giants living in the land. And when I say giants, don't think of like Jack and the Beanstalk. I'm talking about like just really massive people that were, that were we would look at it and say, man, they're, they're gigantic. It was not an evil report because it was a lie. It was an evil report because they overestimated the power of the enemy in the face of the promise of God. There is nothing that will hinder our progress with the Lord more than to look at a situation and say, I can't make it. I can't make it. And we've all been in that place where that was the temptation for us to say, I just can't do it. I can't take another step. I can't make it. It's too hard. It's too big. It's too much. I believe there are a lot of people who are about to become Christians who, who come Right up to the point of salvation, they get right to the promised land of receiving Jesus. Probably everyone in the church knows somebody who has done this, but they get right to that point. They're almost ready to get saved. They're just about ready to step in and look over into the, into the promised land. And, and they look over there and they see that there's temptation. They see their struggles. They see their own flesh. They, see, they know their own weaknesses. They see their problems. They see other Christians who fail. They see backsliding. They see challenges. They may even see needed sacrifices, ways in which taking up the cross daily and denying all rights to themselves and moving on with God. God may pain them and give them inconvenience and they see all of that and then they back away. I believe that some of the most bitter, resentful, hard-hearted, resistant people in the world are people who got the closest to God and then backed away from him. I believe if you could search through their personal history, those who are the most resistant to the gospel today are actually people who had very dynamic encounters with God, who maybe even got closer to the glory that streams down from Mount Perrin than many of us in this room. And they saw it and they beheld it and they walked away from it. These people did not deny the possibilities of great blessing in Canaan. They saw it. They understood it. But you know what they did? They said it's not worth the risk. They overestimated the power of the enemy. You know, some years ago, I think it was in the Atlanta area, there was a mobile home park that had an interesting advertising campaign. But they would show a picture of some like double-wide mobile home. And, and then they, they said something like, you know, had their, their main slogan. But then underneath the slogan, they had a little caption that said, until you step inside, you ain't seen nothing yet. You know, I, I wish I could find that place and find that sign and, you know, sneak in in the darkness and steal it and put it in front of our church. 
Because that's exactly the truth about Christianity. You can't stand on the outside. You can't stand and look across the valley of Eshcol and see all the things that you perceive to be true about Christianity and then make a valid decision about whether or not you can make it. People say, oh, I just can't make it. I, you know, I'm not Billy Graham. I just can't do this. I can't make it in there. That's for giants. And they say that's a land that devours in its inhabitants. There are struggles in there. There are walled cities in there. I can't make it in there. But the truth is that you can't stand here and look through, look through there and make that kind of a judgment. Until you walk through that valley of faith, until you go through the valley of Eshcol, leaving where you are and moving forward in faith to where God wants you to be, you cannot make a valid judgment. When you say, I can't make it, you can't, you can't say that until you step out in faith and walk through the valley. Here you're unsaved. There you're saved. Here you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. There you have the power of God living in you. Here you're struggling with the flesh. There you're learning the crucifying principle of Christ. Everything changes when you move from here to there. With every step you take, planting the sole of your foot in the promised land of spirit-filled living, all the variables change. Now, the second reason they failed to go in and possess the land, it was not only because they overestimated the power of the enemy, but they under, as underestimated the strength of obeying God. That, that's true for most of the spies, but not for Joshua and Caleb. These men were men of great faith. They said, hey, God has spoken. They said, God has spoken. You know, there is one important word in this text. It's the word nevertheless. And uh, some, someday I may preach a sermon on the word nevertheless because it, it's one of the most important words in the entire Bible. Some of the key moments of biblical history are preceded by the word nevertheless. It was, it's one of the fundamental words in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus said, I don't want this. I don't want to go through this. I, I don't want to experience this. But, but, uh, and he agonized before the Father. And, uh, but, but the word that was spoken that turned everything around was when he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's exactly the word that the spies gave who gave an evil report of the land. They said, yes, it is a land that flows with milk and honey. Yes, it is a land of prosperity. Yes, God has promised it to us. Nevertheless, we're not going in. Nevertheless, we're going to disobey God. Interestingly, it's also the same word that Joshua and Caleb said. They said, yes, we saw giants. Yes, there are Amorites and Jebusites and Hittites. Yes, there are lots of enemies. Yes, there are lots of problems there. Nevertheless, God has spoken to us. We're not going to sit here, they said, and miss the promise and plan of God when God intends to pour out his glory. God intends to go ahead of us from Mount Parent into this new experience. God has a great blessing for us. God wants to glorify himself. He has spoken. They said, what does it matter if there are giants there? What does it matter if there are walled cities there? What does any of that matter? God has spoken. The valley of faith is the valley where we look beyond the problems and we see the security that we have in who God is. One of the great points of faith is often forgotten because we love faith. Faith is so vital. 
But there's a great point that we often forget. It's the point of obedience. You see, faith is not just hear and believe. It's not just hearing God and believing. Faith is hear, believe, and obey. I don't believe there were very many people in the camp of Israel that day who did not believe that this was the promised land. I think they really believed it was the promised land. There weren't very many people there who would argue whether or not that this was the plan of God, that this is what God wanted for them. They heard and they believed, but they would not obey. Father O'Leary and the bishop were walking slowly from the church one day, making their way to the train station where they were going to catch the last train to Dublin. And the bishop said, I think the hour is getting late. We'd better hurry or we're going to miss the train. And the younger priest uh, 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 looked at Father O'Leary and said, Bishop, I have absolute faith in my watch. My watch says that we have no problem. We can walk leisurely and we'll get there in plenty of time. A few minutes later, the bishop said, O'Leary, check your watch. I, I think we're going to be late. O'Leary looked at his watch again and said, it's, it's just a quarter till. We have no problem. I have absolute faith in this watch. This watch was my grandfather's watch. I have absolute faith in this watch. Well, they arrived at the train station just in time to see the last train to Dublin pulling out of the station. And the bishop turned to Father O'Leary and said, we've missed the train. The young priest pulled the watch out and realized that it still said a quarter till the hour. He said, my watch has stopped. I can't believe it. I had such faith in this watch. And the bishop took the watch, held it in his hand, and he said, O'Leary, remember this. Watches are exactly like the Christian faith. Faith without good works is dead. Isn't that, isn't that a terrible story? <laughs> my dear friends, the point of this is, uh, uh, is this. I don't know what God is trying to do in individual lives in, in this place. But I do know that God is trying to glorify himself in us and through us. There are some people here that God is challenging. He's challenging, challenging you about various disciplines of the Christian life. He's challenging you about forgiveness. He's challenging you about hope. He's challenging you about faith. He's challenging you about change. He's challenging you about giving or tithing or serving or working or going or obeying. This is one of the great, wonderful, exciting dynamics of the Christian faith to me. God always has something new for you if you will move ahead with him. Now, I've met missionaries that say I've been on the mission field for 20 years and God is calling me to go home to the United States and pastor church there. And I've met pastors that say God is calling me to leave the pastorate, pastorate, pastorate and become a missionary. I've met people responding to the call of God to go to the mission field at 40, 50, and even 60 years of age. I've met people who have walked with God for half a century who say the Lord has awakened in my heart a longing to be filled with the Holy Spirit and a longing to move forward with Him. God is at work in us. you got to hear this. God is at work in us trying to give us a holy discontent for the status quo. If you're satisfied with the status quo, it's time to move forward with God because there's something more that he has for you. God longs to move ahead of us and to flow down from Mount Paran into the Valley of Eshkol to go ahead of us to into the next experience that he has planned for us. 
And I'm praying that God will apply this to us in a hundred different ways, in a hundred different circumstances, in a hundred different lives. I, I, I mean, listen to what he is saying to you today and respond with the faith of obedience. Don't camp out where you are. Don't dig in your heels and resist the Holy Spirit. If God is challenging you to move up and to move on or to obey him in a new way or to seek a new experience with him, then go on. Go on, pack your bags, and like Caleb and Joshua say, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. We have heard from God. If God is in it, if God is spoken, then what are giants to us? You hear me? You as an individual, there are giants you're facing, but if God has spoken, if you hear from Him, if He has spoken into your life, what are giants to you? As a church, we face some obstacles. We have some giants that we're facing down. But you know what? God has spoken. So what are giants to us? Why should we care about them? Why should we worry about them? We'll just move on with God. We'll move on with God. If God is challenging, go on. Move ahead. You know what? Little men see giants. Men of faith see God. Little men see walled cities and tremble. Men of faith see the power of angelic presence. Little men see trials and tribulations and then they turn back to Egypt. Men of faith see the promise of God and go on in and take the land. Little men see problems and and they see the fears and the anxieties and they turn back. But you know what? They never turn back just to go back to where they were. As soon as they encountered adversity here, the Israelites in that place, do they say, hey, let's go back to Mount Paran? No. Is that what they said? No. What they said was, let's go all the way back to Egypt. You know what? There's not a backslider in the world today who has turned away from the things of God, who did not get right to the very brink of a new experience with God and turned back. If God is challenging you to a new level of obedience or sacrifice or commitment or faith, obey obey God in faith. Obey Him in faith. Because I know this, if we continue, if we continually turn back and disobey We will not slip back just to the experience of faith that you had last summer or or last year or two years ago. You'll go all the way back to Egypt eventually. You're either going forward, forward with God or you're going backward away from God. It's an immutable spiritual law. I've always told people that following Jesus is sort of like going up the down escalator. If you think you're going to coast and take it easy, you're going the wrong way. You have to keep moving forward to keep moving forward. I want to close with this. The story is told of a missionary who was visiting a small village in China a number of years ago. A man in that village, a man of God in that village, who he showed the missionary this beautiful delicate lacquered wooden bowl and it, it was so delicate and fragile that that though though it was wood he said you could you could plunk it with your finger and it would ring like metal it's just a beautiful piece of, of of work the painting on the outside was just was so intricate 
so del delicate that it, it was difficult to believe that anybody could paint such a beautiful picture on a curved wooden bowl. And the missionary looked at that and he said, that's a masterpiece. And that old man from China looked at him and he said, the bowl, this bowl is a masterpiece of successive death. And the missionary said, sir, I just don't know what you're talking about when you say that. I don't understand that. The man said, well, for this bowl to be in the beautiful finished state in which you now see it, it's gone through a whole succession of death. He said, there was a tree that had to die to being a tree. And, and then there was a log that was in an, uh, in an uncut rough state that had to cease being a log. It had to die to being a log. Then there was a block of wood that had to die to being in the shape of a block of wood. It had to be carved into the rough shape of an unfinished wooden bowl. But even then it couldn't rest. It, it had to die to the state of being, in an, uh, being an unfinished wooden bowl. It had to be sanded. It had to be carved. All of the shapes that, were, that are carved into the bowl were a succession of deaths. He said when it was finished it was a beautifully carved bowl but it had to be had to die to being an unpainted bowl it was beautiful and, and as an unpainted bowl but it would never be painted unless it was willing to leave that state of being and move on to being painted and he said what you see now is a whole succession of deaths and then that old man looked at the missionary and he said every time I look at this bowl I say Lord lead me on he said, as a child, unsaved and untutored, I came under the conviction of God that something was wrong with my life. He said, I had to die to a Buddhist family. I had to walk out of a Buddhist household that disowned me, rejected me, but I came alive to Christ. Then I came under conviction during my Bible school days that God had a rich blessing for me through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I was going to, I was going to a very narrow conservative Bible school that didn't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I had to die to that Bible school in order to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He said, I was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and they put me out of the Bible school. I died again. He said, I, I wanted to be a layman, but God called me to the ministry. I had to die to my happiness as a layman when God called me to the ministry. He said, then there was this beautiful girl that I wanted to marry, and I thought she would be such a wonderful asset to me in the ministry, but God said, no, I have a different plan for you. I'm going to keep you single your entire life. You're going to work for me, and I'm going to bless your life, but you will never be married. And he said, I had to die to my desire to get married. He said, but I came alive to the reality that Jesus is the lover of my soul. And I have a sweeter, richer intimacy with Jesus than any man I know. He said, in the last 20 years, I've been retired from the ministry. Soon I'm going to die into this physical life. I've enjoyed life. I love life. I love my friends. I've loved the ministry. I've been happy. He said, there's a part of me that wants to cling to this life, but there's another part of me that knows that when I go through that valley, on the other side is going to be the promised land. And the missionary said, sir, how will you walk through that valley? And he said, the same way I've walked through every other death that has led me to this place, by faith. By faith. From glory to glory. From death to unto life, unto death, unto life, unto death, unto life. Eshkol is the valley of faith. But on the other side is the promised land. 
And I say to you this morning in closing, if you want to move on to everything God has for you, you have to be willing to die to what you are now. Let's pray. You bow your head. Father, as we stand at the Valley of Eshcol, this Valley of Faith, not just individually, but as a church, we look and we see, we know that there are giants in the land. Some of us, we know, God, you want to take us to new things. You want to lead us to new ministries. You want to grow us in new ways. But we look and we say, Lord, it's just going to be so hard. It's so scary. But Lord, we don't want to be like the Israelites. We don't want to stand on the edge of, of, of the promised land, of the, every, everything that you've promised for us. And then say, no, I know God has spoken, but I, I'm just not going to do it. We, we don't want to overestimate the power of the enemy and his, his attacks on our lives. And we don't want to underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit or underestimate the power of acting in obedience in faith. God, I pray that you would just speak to each one of us in this place. And Lord, speak to us collectively as a church. In the name of Jesus, we, we trust you, Lord God. What are giants to us? They're nothing to us, not because we're strong. They're nothing to us because they're nothing to you. And Lord, I pray that in this place today, God, that you would... Help us, Lord, that you would birth a new hunger in us, that some who have, who have looked at their lives and they say, you know, I've been stagnant in my relationship with Jesus, but I want to go forward. I want to walk through the valley of faith and whatever it means, whatever I have to die to to get to the new place, Lord, I pray that you would just put that in our hearts to say, Lord, I'm willing to do it because when I walk through that, when I die to that old thing, there's going to be something greater. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I don't, I don't know where you are. I don't know what God's saying to you, but I believe that, the, that everybody in this room, in one way or another, God is applying this word to you. Some of you are looking at your life and you've got giants of financial issues and you say, how in the world could I possibly tithe? Some of you are looking at your life and you're saying, I've got family problems that are so gigantic. How in the world can I possibly give myself to ministry in any area? I've got so many other issues. I've got so many problems, so many heartaches. How could I move forward? How could I let God take me to a new ministry? How could I let God do a new thing? And he's standing here. The spirit of the Lord is speaking to you today. And he's simply saying to you, move forward with me. Don't fear the giants. Don't fear what may come. Don't fear the problems. Don't fear the issues. Don't fear those things because I have spoken. And if God has spoken, what are giants to you? They're nothing because they're nothing to him. And this morning, if you'd like prayer and you'd say, Pastor Dave, I want you to pray for me. God is speaking to me. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a new ministry. Maybe, maybe you've just grown complacent in your walk and he's saying to you, I want to do a new thing in your life. I want you to take you to new places. But you've been so rooted in the past experiences that you haven't been willing to let go of those to be able to move to something new, to a higher plane. And, you, and you'd say, Pastor Dave, I want you to pray for me. Whatever it is, wherever you are, however God has spoken to you. If that's you and you say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me, just slip your hand up right where you are. 
I'm, I'm putting my hands up because this week in preparation, this is the Lord was speaking to me about our church. We have, we have giants in our path, but you know what? Giants are nothing to God. Father, you see every hand that has been raised. And Lord, I don't know what the act of obedience it needs to be. I don't know what it is you're saying that we need to do to be able to act. But God, in the name of Jesus, I pray that we would just obey your voice. That if you've been laying a new ministry on our hearts, we would say, okay, God, I'm going to do it. I believe you for it. I believe you're going to take care of it. If it's another act of faith, whatever it is, God, I pray that you would just let us have that resolve in our spirit to say, I am going to step out in faith. Lord, if it's family issues, if there are other giants that are in the way, Lord God, we know that you're the God of, of every part of our life. And so God, we come to you and we lay all of those things at your feet and say, God, I know you have something new for me. I don't know what it is. I'm not going to pretend to know what it is. I'm not going to try to force you into a box and say it must look like this or like it did for that person. But God, I pray that in the name of Jesus that we would say, God, I will move forward. And Lord, whatever, whatever you're dealing with us about, whatever it is that you're, that you're talking to us about, I pray, God, that in Jesus' name, we would just surrender to you in this place, that we would take that step of faith, act in obedience and faith, God, I pray that you would just let courage begin to arise. That's what Joshua and Caleb had. They had a courage that came from having faith in you. They weren't brash, but they were confident. They were courageous because they knew they'd heard from you. Give us that kind of courage, God, individually, but also as a church. Have your way in us, God, I pray. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.